0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 283rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar on why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today on our podcast, we have someone who has studied the down and dirty details of soil. We're talking with Elizabeth Murphy about the importance of healthy soil. Elizabeth has a passion for growing food, which led her to a master's degree in soil science from the University of California, Davis, where she researched soils, organic matter storage, and a farmer's ability to improve it. She was a faculty instructor at Oregon State University's Extension Small Farms Program, where she taught and consulted with gardeners and farmers about best management practices to build healthy soils. Since 2006, Elizabeth has owned a half-acre garden in Southern Oregon, which she considers her laboratory for experimenting with sustainable soil management and gardening practices for landscapes and vegetables. She is the author of Building Soil, A Down and Dirty Approach, and currently lives in Tacoma, Washington. Welcome to the show today, Elizabeth.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Sure. Well, you know, my path really started early on. I was working on farms. I was working in the woods doing restoration And no matter what I did, whether it was growing food or working in the woods, my questions, everything I did came back down to soil. You know, Mm -hmm. there was a qualitative difference when I worked on farms that really took care of their soil. There was more wildlife. There was more quality. Yeah, there there was more happening in the natural world and versus farms that didn't take care of their soils, you could really feel the difference. You could almost taste the difference in the food. And so that led me back to school where I went to UC Davis to get a master's in soil. And I really took a deep dive into the small little microscopic world of soil, looking at the teeny tiny relationships, associations between clay particles and organic matter, this, this whole fascinating universe that we can't see with our, Naked Eye. And we had a lot of funding for that work because of one really big, important constituent of soil, which is carbon, one of the drivers of climate change. Oh,
0: yes, of course.
1: So that was exciting. But taking that back out to a bigger level, I I went back to work with farmers in, in my hometown in southern Oregon. And I found that talking to farmers, talking to gardeners, teaching classes, people really, really wanted to no, people intuitively know that to grow good farms and good gardens, they needed to take care of the soils. Right. But a lot of people were confused about what to do. And I think that confusion comes from a lot of the alphabet soup we get in the soil tests and the fertilizer packages. And, and so my mission really is to try to make soil an intuitive thing. And I, I think we can do that if we just change our perspective, change the way we look mm-hmm. at the world around us and at soil in particular.
0: Yeah. I have in my hands here, Building Soil, a Down to Earth Approach. This is a pretty cool book. It's a beautiful one. And it goes in depth to a lot of things. So, how did this book come to be? Because the picture that I'm seeing of you, you look pretty young to have written a book of this <laughs> magnitude. Not that you couldn't do it, I, I'm completely on board that you did. It's this is just it's it's this is an epic thing here to have created a book of such magnitude at such a young age. Tell me about that.
1: Oh, well, thank you. First of all, I'm not that young. I just look young. <laughs> but also, you know, I think it really comes from a lot of on-the-ground, hands-on experience. I started farming and gardening at a pretty early age. My real hands-on connection that came mm-hmm. before my academic career, I think, is really, really what informs most of my work. Like I said, I really think there's an element of shifting our perspective, of, of putting yourself in the soil, of understanding nature and the ecosystems by being part of it. Sounds a little funny, but I, I think that when we imagine soil, like it's not that different than, than our taking care of ourselves, taking care right. of our children, taking care of our pets, <laughs> taking care of our friends. So that's one element. And the other element is I I did learn a lot after that experience through my experience in Extension working with farmers. And taking that hands-on experience, and that academic experience, and seeing what really makes a difference, what's really important for people to become more successful Mm -hmm. in their growing operations and endeavors. So really distilling it down to what's practical, what's approachable, what can I take away and apply today that will help me.
0: A soil grower's foundation. Let's talk about that. What do you mean by that?
1: So the Soil Growers Foundation, I guess in a way it's a little bit of a play on words. But basically, you know, every soil book you get, you have your first chapter that's kind of the ABCs of soil. Talking about the stuff you learn in your first intro soils class, particle size and stuff like that. So in this chapter, I I try to do my version of that. But I do really feel that a a lot of soil book maybe delve a little Mm -hmm. bit too much into the academic. And so I wanted to keep things pertinent and provide that foundation that you need to have without, without getting too far in the weeds. So really, I think what's important there is to understand the components of soil, that soil's made up of these particles. We can touch and feel and see these broken down pieces of rock, but that even more importantly, soil's made up of these pockets between oh, that material. Right. So soil's not just a conglomeration of stuff. It's a conglomeration of stuff and all the oh, right. between the stuff, right? It's this living, living matrix. And, and I think it's important for people to understand that it's this living, breathing thing that that's goes far beyond when you pick up a few pieces of sand or a few pieces of clay and rub them between your fingers.
0: So on page 16 of your book, you have a picture of a basketball, a baseball, and a golf ball. And that's to represent the different size of particles that are in soil. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Sure, so I'll preface this by saying, not to scale. (laughs) And so sometimes I like to explain things in a way people can understand. And I think even though this illustration doesn't doesn't even represent the magnitude of difference between Uh the sizes of soil particles, it does give us a visual indicator. And these three balls represent a relative size of a sand particle, Mm -hmm. which is represented by the basketball a silt particle represented by the baseball and a clay particle right. represented by the, the golf ball. And actually our clay particle probably would be better represented by a, a tiny, tiny yeah. you know, pinprick right. <laughs> than a golf ball. But it gives us an idea. So you know, when we talk about the components of soil, mm-hmm. the Soil Grower's Foundation, four components of soil are the stuff, so the minerals that make up soil, the space between the stuff, the air and the water, and then Uh, the organic material, the living part of soil. So those are our four components. But in that stuff, in that material component, we have three different texture sizes. So that's sand, silt, and clay. And there's a vast difference in their size. Because of this vast difference in their size and their composition, they really, really act in dramatically different ways. And these are the, the particles that really determine the inherent characteristics of our soils such as the ability to hold water, the ability to retain water, the ability to retain nutrients, the susceptibility to erosion are determined by how much of each of these materials, these textural sizes, sand, silt and clay, basketball, baseball, Mm -hmm. golf ball, that you have in your soil.
0: Excellent. So how does one go about making healthy soil from unhealthy soil?
1: That's a great question. So I like to start by saying Mm -hmm. it's a paradigm shift. There's not a, a recipe to make healthy soil out of unhealthy soil. I think to start bringing your soil to life, first of all, there needs to be a real paradigm shift in understanding that soil is alive. And if you understand that soil is alive, not just understand it, if you touch it, feel it, breathe it, if you can feel that the soil is alive underneath your feet, then knowing how to make it healthy becomes a lot more intuitive. So at this point, when we talk about making healthy soil, we think about what are the things that make any living thing healthy? What are the things Mm. any living Mm -hmm. thing needs to survive? And in this case, really, it comes down to a few basic things. We need air to breathe. We need Mm -hmm. water to keep us hydrated and perform so many functions in our body. We need food to give us energy. And last but not least, we need shelter. Uh, We need to be protected from exposure and from the elements. A lot of people in my classes also sometimes say love. You can oh, tell it's right. different in different geographic regions. Uh-huh. <laughs> so if we think about a soil needing those four things, if we think about the living part of our soil needing those four things, then what we do to make a soil healthy becomes a lot more intuitive. And so I want to kind of digress now again to talk mm-hmm, about please. those four components of soil. So we have our minerals, the material of the soil, our air, our water, And then we have our organic portion of the soil. And depending on your soil, that can be one to maybe 10% of the soil. So a small percentage of the soil, and of that organic portion, an even smaller percentage of that is actually alive. So maybe 5% of that 5% of organic material is alive. So a pretty small percentage overall of the soil is alive. But the living portion of the soil, the worms, the bacteria we can't see, the fungus, It's a hot mess of activity in the ground below our feet, and it's that tiny percentage of the soil that's alive that drives all function of the soil and that really drives all life on the planet. So when we talk about a healthy soil, we're talking about feeding, watering, making sure it has air, making sure it's sheltered Mm -hmm. that living portion of the soil.
0: So how do you go about feeding soil?
1: It's a great question. Anything that is organic material is soil food. So organic material that is anything that was, is, once was, could be alive is composed of organic material that, that can feed the soil critters, right. can feed the soil organisms. Mm-hmm. And not all organic materials created equal. Oh yes, but... of course. <laughs> any, any organic material is actually soil food. So one easy way to s- start the soil is not to take that food away. So there's a habitual way sometimes of farming and gardening where we at the end of a season will take away all of the residue or all of the seasons plants or all of the weeds and and maybe we take it to the compost pile to recycle it for next year. Mm -hmm. But in that process we're actually taking away organic matter so we're taking away soil food. So one question to ask yourself is is there a way to return that material to the soil. And that's going to save you a lot of work. If it's already there, you don't have to take it away. You can find a way for the organisms to consume it and ingest it. Then you've closed that loop and you've saved yourself the step. Mm -hmm. So that's one important thing. And then there's more conventional ways that people feed soil, which is adding amendments. And that's great. Amendments are, are necessary and important. And an important amendment that people sometimes don't consider is actually adding some organic fertilizers, some more concentrated fertilizers. Right. Because if your soil is lacking in an important plant nutrient, then your soil is not going to grow healthy plants. Yeah. And if you can't grow healthy plants, what are you missing? Those healthy plants are organic matter for the soil. Mm-hmm. So you're shortcutting the natural cycle of feeding the soil if you don't have those essential nutrients.
0: Right.
1: So feeding the soil means growing plants.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs>
1: The roots of the plants that we grow contribute a huge amount of organic matter to the soil. So growing those roots, always maintaining some living cover of the soil, and then keeping those roots in the system, keeping somehow digging your top residue into the system is a great way to feed the soil. And then traditionally adding traditional amendments, including fertilizers when needed. Eventually you can get to a point where you, you might not need to add additional fertilizers. And then cover crops, going back to that keeping living plants in the system, cover crops are my number one favorite, favorite way to feed the soil. Oh, yes. And there's some, yeah, there's some tips and tricks to how to do it, and, and they can intimidate people because it seems more complicated than it is. But if you ever, ever have a gap either in space or in time in, in your garden mm-hmm. or in your farm, throw down some cover crop seed because what you're doing is you're capturing um, the energy of the sun, you're converting that into organic matter. You're capturing nutrients that might be lost from your system. You're pulling them up and retaining them. And then you're recycling them back into your soil to feed the soil when you cut those cover crops back in.
0: Nice. So tell us what is a cover crop?
1: So a cover crop... Is also sometimes known as a green manure and they're two words that are used somewhat interchangeably and and are described based on their function so when people use a cover crop Uh they're more or less talking about um, a plant that's used to stabilize soil and when a person's talking about using a green manure they're talking about a plant that's grown to do what we were just talking about, accumulate sun, uh, energy from the yeah. sun and nutrients to be returned to the soil. But basically you're, you're selecting from the same species. So a cover crop and a green manure are plants that are planted at different times during the year when you do have bare soil,
0: mm-hmm.
1: both to protect the soil and also to feed the soil by dynamically accumulating wow. um, organic material. And nitrogen fixing cover crops are, are particularly useful for actually capturing and fixing nitrogen, which is a relatively expensive nutrient if you're going to buy and import.
0: Exactly.
1: But it's free when our, well, there's the cost of cover crop seed, but it's relatively free when our cover crops do it for us.
0: Right. Wow. So what kind of seeds are we talking about here?
1: So there's many different types of cover crops. And I think this is what sometimes can overwhelm people because there are a lot to choose from. But different regions, you can always find a great guide for your region that that talks about species that are especially good. For myself personally, I just have a few go-to favorites. So in the summer, I always, always, always throw down buckwheat, and if I get a chance, also phacelia. Not only do they accumulate organic material, but they can create beautiful flowers that are attractive to pollinators. In general, you want to cut your cover crops in before they go to flower, but an added benefit I usually leave some of my cover crop to go to flower. I might not be getting as much nutrient, but I have the pollinator benefit. And the buckwheat you can chop in as early as two to three weeks after you've planted it. So, you know, it's gonna keep your soils covered, which is always a good thing.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And at the same time, it's gonna give you the opportunity to add some extra nutrients.
0: Nice, so you use the term cut in a cover crop. Tell me about that.
1: So I guess that's a bit misleading. So there's a lot of different ways to return your cover crops to the system. So maybe a more traditional way on a big farm would be to till in your cover crop right before it goes to flower. So you can incorporate directly and kind of aggressively incorporate your cover crop that way. There's also a spectrum, just like with tillage, there's a whole spectrum of ways to incorporate a cover crop. You can simply pull it up and mulch with it. You can take your spade and just lightly cut it into the surface. And it also depends on the crop. Some crops require a more aggressive approach Mm -hmm. so that they don't come back. Uh, But for instance, with buckwheat, you can pull it up and mulch with it. You can lightly cut it in with your spade. You can rototill it in. You can do a number of different things. You can smother and cover it with a sheet mulch. Oh, yeah. So it's basically the process of incorporating it back into the soil somehow, getting good soil-to-material contact so the critters can decompose it and return those nutrients, Mm -hmm. and preventing it from drying out in the sun. Because uh, when you dry material out in the sun, Or when you leave it exposed, the atmosphere, that's when you actually get volatilization and you lose your nitrogen. Turn it in somehow, whether that's covering it or whether that's cutting it in with a spade just a little bit or whether that's chilling it more aggressively.
0: Nice. So tell me, what's the inspiration for you behind all of this?
1: For me, my inspiration and most things I do in my life is really just a love and passion for what I do. Mm. So I I did feel very drawn to soil <laughs> very early. Nice. I pride myself on always being the dirtiest person <laughs> in any given endeavor. Yay. Cool. <laughs> and there's something, when you start learning about it, there's something magical about this world we can't really see, this incredibly active, dynamic yes. world that we can't see that, as I mentioned before, really does drive all life on the planet, whether it's directly growing our forests and food and medicine to filtering our water, mm-hmm. to keeping our air of good quality. It, it really is responsible yeah. for, for all life on the planet. So
0: so what do you consider your biggest success?
1: That's a good question. Uh, it's hard to look back and on a, on a life and uh-huh. <laughs> pick one, but I can always pick one from any given growing season. Beautiful. And, and this year, I think my biggest success is the first time I grew a Hakurai turnip, a, a Japanese, a small, white, delicate, white flesh Japanese turnip that were the most amazing turnips I've ever eaten in my wow. whole life. I wasn't the only one who had that opinion. Many people had that opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's hard to think beyond that success because that was, that was, has been, was truly an amazing milestone this spring was to, um, yeah. grow those for the first time.
0: You have your own garden. Yeah. And are you growing for market?
1: No, no, not, not at this time. I grow for myself. Ah, perfect.
0: <laughs> perfect. Perfect. And, and what do you do on a day-to-day basis? In my garden? Yeah. Or in life?
1: Oh, in life. Yeah. So in life, I do a lot of different things. I garden. That's my... Gardening is one of my biggest passions, Uh but I'll tell you that if you read my book, you'll see that I'm a big proponent of lazy gardening.
0: Oh, amen to that. (laughs) Yay, yay there.
1: So I try not to spend every day in the garden. I visit my garden every day, but I try to avoid kind of backbreaking work when I can. I love to work hard. But I think that if you, you know, use techniques where you're growing more and leaving it in place more, then you actually don't have to have as much input or as much work to go into growing a good garden. So on a day-to-day basis, I also work as an environmental scientist. So I uh, work on restoration projects and stream projects. And I run a Aikido martial arts school.
0: Oh, no way. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah. How cool is that? Do you happen to know my friend, Jake Mace, the vegan athlete?
1: No. No, he's
0: he's big on YouTube and uh, runs a martial arts business here in Phoenix. I know there's a lot of us out there oh, doing cool. that.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah, cool.
0: Exactly, exactly. So what drives you? What's your big why?
1: My big why? Oh, we didn't answer that yet, huh? <laughs> no.
0: We kind of touched on it a little bit, but...
1: I mean, what drives me on a day-to-day basis is what I talked about earlier, my my passion and my love and following my curiosity. But what Mm -hmm. drives me on a bigger level is I really do see soil as the nexus of really, you know, the three major problems and crises that we're facing as a planet. By the year 2050, we need to feed another 2.5 billion people. Right. By some projections, it's gonna be an estimated 60% increase in our current food production. So we're looking at major issues of food security. We're looking at major issues of climate change. And soil is one big reservoir of carbon and one big piece of the solution to climate change. And we're looking at continuing to protect environmental quality, of which soil plays a major part in in Mm -hmm. filtering our water and ensuring water quality. So I really see soil as the nexus of kind of the big three global crises we face in the next couple decades. And so I think it's not just important for us as farmers and gardeners to grow more food and better food and and spend less on fertilizers and spend less time and labor doing it, but it's also really important what we're doing and how we're growing in our farms and gardens and how we're growing in the, the woods and the natural areas around our farms and gardens for the future of the planet.
0: And why is it important to grow organically?
1: Oh, well, organic production... So we didn't go into kind of do's and don'ts of soil-based gardening, but one of the major don'ts is pesticides. So if you think about the fact that you're trying to cultivate this life below ground, anytime we use a pesticide, and especially a broad spectrum pesticide, you're basically starting from scratch all over again. So in terms of healthy soil, bringing soil to life, pesticides are a big issue. Mineral, chemical fertilizers, are less, I'll say, less of an issue in terms of destroying life below ground. You're not cultivating as much diversity and you can have some adverse effects. The real problem with chemical fertilizers is how they're applied and their negative effects on water quality and other environmental concerns. Um, Mm -hmm. People tend to overuse or not have natural systems that can take them up even. So that's why it's important to grow organically because it is this natural living soil that both accumulates carbon to help adapt to climate change and also allows us to use less energy-intensive forms of production. Nitrogen fertilizer, for instance, is a huge consumer of energy. It takes an enormous amount of fossil fuel-driven energy to create nitrogen fertilizer. The same thing happens in the roots of leguminous plants, which is 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 pretty incredible okay. <laughs> that much amount right. that amount of energy can be generated by these rhizobia that's why i think it's important to go organically i don't i'm i'm not hard and fast that you have to be organic to have, to have positive impacts on the soil, but it certainly helps.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it certainly looks that way. That's right. So you mentioned it, you mentioned it do's and don'ts. Let's talk about some do's and don'ts. We still got a few minutes here. Sure.
1: Okay. So yeah, some do's and don'ts and maybe some common misconceptions. I talk a lot about working with your organic soil, working with your living soil. I talk a lot about the fact that soil tests do not give us all the information we need as organic growers to understand the nutrients in our soil. But at the same time I would say, do get a soil test.
0: (laughs) Oh really? What are we testing for? Do
1: get a soil test because a soil test is going to tell you if there's something, some glaring deficiency in your soil, some nutrient that you're really, really missing with the exception of nitrogen in most areas. The other nutrients in our soil, a soil test is going to tell us if there's a glaring deficiency, in which case we need to correct that because none of the other stuff we do do is going to work unless we jumpstart and replenish that reservoir.
0: What are we testing for?
1: Unless you see there's a real problem that you can't figure out what's going on, Mm -hmm. you're going to be testing for your major macronutrients. So most soil tests are going to give you values for your NPK, your nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, Mm -hmm. your nitrogen value in a soil test is not going to be that useful as an organic grower, but your phosphorus and potassium, if they give you big deficiencies, that's an indicator that you need to address that pretty aggressively. And then you're also going to test for additional macronutrients. Most soil tests give you magnesium, calcium, and so on. Another good thing to test for in your soil test, if you choose to add This on is to get a read on your soil texture. Ah. Soil texture is not going to tell you how much of which fertilizer to add, but it will tell you what percentage of sand, silt, and clay you have, which is gonna give you valuable information to know when if you if you read my book or another soil book, it'll give you valuable information around how often do I have to water and why do I have to water that much. How do I fertilize and why do i fertilize that way so some of the properties of your soil you're going to be able to understand more if you know your soil texture and the soil test will also tell you ph you can there's other ways you can also get a handheld meter to monitor that and if you have big problems a soil test it's also not a bad idea depending on your region to test for issues of salinity or sodicity
0: we have that problem here in the desert
1: i was thinking (laughs) yeah and also to test for micronutrients exactly but you're, initially you're just testing for those, the big NPK, focus on the PK mm-hmm. and uh, and the rest of your macronutrients. Right.
0: Well, and there's a really simple test that you can do to get the consistency of your soil with a jar and some water, right?
1: Yeah, there is, it's not as accurate as your test, but you can, and uh, I talk about it in my book and you can find it on any of your favorite internet sites, but you can do a jar mm-hmm. test which is a simple settling time exercise. Sand settles out quicker than silt, which settles out quicker than clay because of their relative particle size. So you can get a read on what percentage of sand, silt, and clay you have by doing this sort of jar test where you let your soil settle out in water. Perfect.
0: Perfect. And any more on the do's and don'ts?
1: Oh, do promote beneficial organisms. Do not use pesticides. Just don't do it. (laughs) I understand some producers, they have major crop issues, Uh might need to resort to that, but let it be a last resort. Do add compost and organics and don't necessarily expect that they supply all the nutrients you need, especially when you're starting out. It takes a while to jumpstart your system to be able to rely entirely on internal processes. Do till or turn your soil when there's a real reason to do it. Don't just till without understanding why. why. So a lot of times we till reactively because we think that's what we're supposed to do. But really only do it when you need to. And do keep plants growing. Keep planting. But don't let your soil sit bare. Except in unique circumstances Mm -hmm. it's better to have plants growing in the ground if you have the water i know in phoenix it might be a water limitation issue that
0: can be challenging well excellent
1: in other places keep plants growing excellent well
0: thank you for that i that that was a lot of good 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 data so if you could recommend one book for our listeners what would it be and why
1: well so this book is not this is not related to soil or gardening no no no, that's all right (laughs) But I'm a, I'm a huge science fiction fan, and one of my favorite, well, it's actually a trilogy, is His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. Mm. I was thinking it does have a relation to soils, because in these books, you're cutting through the layers between worlds, and you're passing between worlds, mm. and I think that's a little bit like what it takes to shift your paradigm when it comes to soils, because you're actually, you're having to cut between worlds, and and see the world in a really different way when you start to see it from the perspective of living soil
0: organisms. Perfect. What was the name of the series again?
1: His Dark Materials. Mm. And my favorite was the second book called The Subtle Knife by Philip Pullman.
0: Perfect. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: My final piece of advice is in relation to cover crops. Just do it. Just plant some cover crops, throw some seeds out there and see what happens. I know Lots of people are intimidated and want to make sure they're doing it right. Don't worry about it, just do it. (laughs) You'll have great results. If you don't have great results this season, you'll have great results next season. Do it again. Don't be afraid, plant some cover crops. They're your number one tool when it comes to building healthy soil. Perfect,
0: well I have to tell you, I have two garden beds in the front yard right now that are empty I was thinking about letting them sit fallow for a season and instead I'm going to plant cover crops in them so thanks for that inspiration
1: hey Uh, awesome
0: and thank you so much for joining us on the show today
1: well thanks so much for having me this was really fun
0: you bet so how can our listeners get a hold of you
1: so the best way to get a hold of me is through my website which is dirtsecrets.com that's d-i-r-t-s-e-c-r-e-t-s.com And I'm also on Facebook at Dirt Secrets.
0: Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash building soil. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit iwanttosaveseeds.com and you'll receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org,